chapter 19. There are a few things that make me feel butch. That fresh fade, a really sharp suit and a freshly ironed shirt. Being a good driver, being good at sports, my competence with power tools. But there is nothing that makes me feel as butch as a femme does. And my preferences were very much for the kind of woman who might be considered or presumed to be straight. I know I did a lot of assuming. Never once referring to these women as bisexual, for example. Because that, that would have made me seem less impressive. That would have been less validating for me. You know, because I enjoyed, I even reveled in my ability to turn a woman. I'm cringing, honestly. I'm cringing right now as I hear myself say that. And I have to be upfront with you. It won't be the last time you or I cringe today. Because this was the attitude I was carting about. Reducing women to a sexual challenge. Like I was some sort of a lesbian Barney Stinson. But why? Why, why did I do this? Validation, attention and competition. I had been competing against boys my entire life. And now, now I was still competing against boys as far as I was concerned. Rarely was my competition another woman. Ultimately, I felt like if a conventionally attractive woman was attracted to me, then it validated my attractiveness. You know, so I might not qualify directly, but with this person next to me, interested in me, you can't write me off as some sort of weirdo or outsider. And yes, well, okay, I do like to be the centre of attention at times, and I do quite enjoy watching men scratch their heads and wonder what it is that I have that they don't. See, the thing about me was I didn't just want to be one of the lads. I wanted to be better than one of the lads. I saw myself as the best of both worlds. I still kind of do, if I'm honest. The older I got and the more freedom I had, the more I leaned into my butch state of being. Very few people saw my feminine side. But it is there and sometimes it comes in very, very handy. And I don't just mean for trying to convert straight girls. The weekend after my holiday with Tess, I intended to use this to my advantage. One of my cousins, one of my many cousins, was getting married. Big family celebration. Everyone's gonna be there. Lots of relatives you gotta make small talk with. Which means lots of having to explain to Auntie Jean, Doreen, Pat, Sue and Mary that no. Actually, as it goes, I'm not joining the police now 
And no, I don't have a clue what I'm going to do with my life instead. Over and over again. Death by small talk was waiting for me. A distraction, a diversion was needed. Vital, in fact. Now, listeners, you know I'm not afraid of that classic lesbian trope of moving really, really quickly in the opening stages with a girl. But even I, uh huh, even I was wise enough to know that asking Tess to come to the wedding as my date less than a week after our first kiss was probs a bit much. Experience had taught me to move slowly, as so not to startle or spook a straight girl. Patience was key. Plus, you know, respectful. So, gorgeous wedding date to divert attention wasn't an option available to me. There was nothing else for it, folks. I was going to have to do the opposite of what was expected and wear a dress. For years now, I'd resisted all efforts to cajole, force or shame me into wearing something more suited to my gender at these sorts of occasions. You may recall the collots of compromise as they have been aptly named. The more people pushed for me to do something, the less likely I was to comply. And in fact, the more butch my outfit would get. The only person I have ever moderated my outfits for is my mum and even then I only tone it down enough so that she stops being completely pissed off and she's just like mildly irritated yeah because you know nobody needs to wind your mum up too much but on the run-up to this particular wedding it had been very quiet yeah when I mentioned I might wear a suit the colour was the only query They'd never see it coming. So while the butch side of me was hanging out poolside with Tess, topless in my board shorts, showing off relentlessly, the femme side of me was plotting and shopping. The dress was a nod to my butch inclinations, a military shirt dress, lovely sort of cream colour, perfect for showing off my holiday tan and my legs. And you'll find out why it showed off my legs in just a moment. I figured if I'm going to show me pins off, then I need heels for full effect. Let's not get carried away, nothing too high. I don't want to ruin the impact by stumbling around like a baby giraffe. So I bought a pair of baby blue suede kitten heels. But it pointed with a very over-the-top brooch-type decoration on the front. Sort of like a... A silver buckle that has been drowned in blue gems and pearls. Just so girly, it hurts. Oh, and of course, a matching clutch bag. I mean, I don't care if you're butch, you're femme, whoever, whatever you are. Colour coordination is important. It is. Oh, and a top tip. Always sit down in a dress when you try it on. Yeah, really showing off my legs I was. Because at least if you sit down when you try it on, 
when you get to the church and sit down, it won't be a shock to you when your ass gets cold. Yeah? Little too short for church, methinks. Now, whether I actually looked good or just surprisingly different from how everybody had been expecting me to look was kind of irrelevant. My plan was working a treat. They couldn't help themselves from trying to reinforce how good I looked, all dressed up like a lady, how, you know, I should do this all the time. Honestly, it was kind of worth it not to have to talk about what I was going to do with my life. But while I enjoyed the attention, it did feel really hollow. Because it didn't feel like they were actually complimenting me. It felt like they were complimenting my ability to play by their rules. And there are so many rules. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced at this point that none of us will ever truly be able to woman correctly. I mean, even if you're almost there following all of the rules and doing all of the things you're supposed to do, the goalposts will move and you'll be incorrect again or not enough again or could be doing it better again. And that's, that's what women who conform are up against. The rest of us... Lost causes in their eyes, I am sure. Whoever they are. Anyway, the distraction worked on one level. But on another, internally, it caused a massive disconnect in me. Like, objectively, I knew I looked good. My clothes were fitting well. They were occasion appropriate. You know, I was all put together, well presented. But inside, from the moment I got dressed that morning, I felt like I was putting on a costume to play a girl for the day. As I looked at myself in the mirror, it just, it didn't look right to me. Like, you know those flip books where the page is divided into three? Bottom section, you're flipping through and you pick out my legs in the lower half of my dress and my lovely blue suede. And then we flick through the middle section and we pick the torso, of course, the matching part of my dress. Lovely. And now the top section. I just keep flipping, looking for that feminine face that's going to match or suit the two previous selections that have been made. But it doesn't exist. And the best I can find is my masculine slash boyish face with my short back and sides and my glasses. You know, makeup helps, but it's not a miracle worker. To me, the above neck, below neck contrast was always so stark. It felt quite jarring. And I can't be blaming that on things like the length of my hair. I have seen too many stunning women shave their heads and remain or get more feminine looking. And I have also seen too many of you long-haired butches absolutely killing it, right? 
This isn't about what length your hair is as to what you can identify as. This is absolutely about how I saw myself and how it didn't add up in my head, how it didn't feel authentic or like me. And I honestly, I just didn't feel like I was pulling it off. You know, this outfit was wearing me, not the other way around. I packed that dress away in my bag to head home post-wedding. And it felt a bit like I was packing some of my femininity away too. It just, it didn't feel like it fit me. And I, I just didn't feel like I'd be needing too much of that. And a big part of that was the way I was reacting Tess's presence. You know, Tess had always flirted with me with exactly the same methods that she'd always used with men. And I'd seen her react really well to my version of masculinity. It was the one thing about me I felt confident she was attracted to. You know, Tess had only ever been with guys, and so in my head, I made a bunch of assumptions that being more of a guy was the right way to proceed with the situation. And to some extent, we both really played into these gender roles. And I found myself occupying what felt very much like a boyfriend role. Initially, it did just feel like we were playing with those roles. And it made sense to me. You know, Tess had only ever been in heterosexual relationships and had never seen a lesbian couple at all. You know, she was operating from the only frame of reference she had. And me? I'm just trying really hard not to fuck it up, not to push too fast. You know, this is all new to Tess and she needed patience and understanding. You know, she needed to figure it out at her own pace. This blurred the lines so much. You know, I was the person she wanted to talk to about what was happening with this woman she'd met. And this meant some days I was her best mate. And some days I was her best mate with some benefits. Other days, full benefits. The very first night I took her home and to bed was incredible. She knew exactly how to play her part. Tess could seduce with her eyes, with her body, and she dressed to be unwrapped and appreciated. You know, walking out of the club that night, I felt six foot tall. Tess wanted me. She'd chosen me, the lads looked impressed, the girls looked impressed. My ego loved every damn second of it. You know, I wanted that butch femme dynamic. And here I was, getting it in spades. Except it only really existed on the surface. You know, Tess adored my chivalrous nature. And I absolutely adored the effort she made for me. The days and nights when we were strictly friends became fewer and further between. 
I'd firmly slipped into the boyfriend role at this point. And to be honest, a few other things just compounded that situation. For a start, at no point was I viewing Tess as a woman who was exploring her sexuality. To my mind, she was a straight girl, one of the few who, you know, had me as an exception to their rule. And so I treated her like a straight girl, which in turn sort of exacerbated her treating me like a straight man or just continuing with behaviour she was familiar with. Eventually we had the, the talk and, you know, we were pretty much in a relationship at this point. So we decided why not give it a proper go. It was the kiss of death. You know, like while we'd been friends, uh, while she'd been figuring things out, I'd been quite patient about my needs. But now, now we're in a relationship and I want things to evolve. However, I've kind of made a rob for my own back. You know, Tess just wants everything else to stay the same and for us just to sort of make it official. Which would have been absolutely fine if it hadn't have been quite so one-sided. You know, everything thus far had been on Tess's terms. And I, I've been happy to accept them for all of the reasons and excuses I've already made. But I started to realise I needed more. I needed more than an aesthetic or a look. You know, I wanted to be seen for all that I was. Not just the parts that suited her. For me, nothing illustrated how I felt Tess saw me more than sex. As the more experienced party, it was natural that I would lead. You know, as someone trying something new for the first time, it was natural that Tess would need to take it easy and, and to time to feel comfortable. But Tess, Tess got real comfortable. If you present as butch, quite often people are going to assume that you are the dominant one uh, in the bedroom, the initiator, the instigator. Every now and again, somebody will have heard of a stone butch and they'll make that assumption about you. Um, and if you don't know about stone butches, it's a butch who doesn't want to receive, um, doesn't want to be touched. Um, that doesn't mean they don't want to have sex and give pleasure, it just means they would rather be giving rather than receiving in that situation. Whilst giving pleasure is probably my absolute favourite thing to do, and lucky me, something I find very satisfying, it's not where sex ends for me. I'm not a stone butch. Honestly, I'm not even a top. If I've got to pick a label, I'm a switch. I want it both ways, yeah? I would very much like the favor returned. But for whatever reason, that wasn't really Tess's style. If I'm being brutally honest about it, Tess 
was the ultimate pillow princess. All take, very little give. And the lust that had sustained us to start with was very much starting to wane. And I, as I said, was realising that I needed and wanted more than Tess was able to give me. But how do you go back to just being friends? You know, how do you unblur those lines? Can you even unblur lines? Tess changed jobs and I have to say that helped quite a lot. It gave both of us a bit more space. And as the relationship started along, we started spending more and more time apart. Both of us at some point had caught feelings, but we couldn't figure out what they really meant. You know, was it you know, just you know, all being caught up in the lust? Is it you know, the confusing, you know, the friendship and then the lust on top of that? It just, it didn't make sense. And thankfully we had you know, talked about a lot of this when we'd gone into the situation. Um, and we'd gone into it as friends knowing that we really valued that friendship and we wanted it to survive whatever happened. I mean, wishful thinking, I absolutely hear you, but we really, yeah, we thought, let's give it a crack. So we did. We we dialed things back um, and we, you know, <laughs> we withdrew benefits. Um, and I'm not saying we never slept together again, but... You know, in the long run, we knew that friends was all we were going to be. You know, that's what worked for us. To be honest with you, I am going to class it as a successful breakup. Quite pleased with it. Yeah. And Doc, good old Doc, was right there online ready to listen to all of the nonsense I've been up to. Doc, too, knew the trouble of being the exception to the rule. But I remember him being dead proud of me for not bringing it all down around me in my usual dramatic style. And to be honest, I was a bit too. I mean, I'd slept with my friend and we were still friends afterwards. Holy shit. Who knew it was actually possible that it could actually be done? And not only that, but I was wiser for it. I know I'm showing off now, I'm really showing off. For so long, I had been all about being successful with women. You know, my sexual prowess and putting her needs ahead of my own. Seemed chivalrous and noble and honorable and all that good nonsense. And this had resulted in sex often being really one-sided. Um, and it turned out, yeah, that was as much on me as it was on the women I was sleeping with. Femininity is vulnerability to me, especially within myself. My strengths would be a list of my masculine traits my weaknesses, my feminine ones. And no matter where I looked in life, the power lay in the masculine. And 
from kind of day one, I was pretty comfortable in that position of dominance or power. You know, even when I didn't have a clue what I was doing, if you remember all the way back then. But actually, when the tables were turned, it was a very uncomfortable place for me. You know, I wanted to be wanted, but I rarely felt that in a way that wasn't about my masculinity. Take Tess, for example, she wanted me to give. She didn't want, or it felt to me, and that's important to say, not putting words in her mouth, it felt to me that she didn't want me in that way. Yeah, my success with women was, I'll be honest with you, not based on my physicality. But honestly, give me half hour with a woman and I had a pretty good chance of laughing her into bed. Now I've heard it said that you don't fuck personality, but honestly, my self-image and self-esteem had me convinced that that was the only way I was getting it done. Now, if you mix all of that in with sleeping with predominantly inexperienced women who are nervous, tentative, or just generally unsure, you have a really good recipe for a butch who feels like her sexual needs are a burden and is just frankly grateful for the little reciprocation that she does get. If you'd like to top this particular dish, ensure the butch fails to communicate her desires and just hopes that one day someone will come along that understands there's more than one side to this woman. I don't remember when I heard the phrase, everyone is responsible for their own orgasms, but fuck me, I did not hear it early enough. People are not mind readers. If you want ridiculously good sex, be able to tell the other person what does it for you. I mean, it sounds really bloody obvious when you say it like that, but sex has been moralised, politicised and weaponised time and time again. And even now, it only feels like we've just started to have much healthier conversations around sex. Anyway, back to the story. Post-breakup with Tess was pretty easy, right? until she met someone. I'm gonna call him Norman, right? <laughs> and would you believe it? I didn't really like Norman. Who could say why? Rage and jealousy, perhaps. I thought she could do better, maybe. Or maybe it was the fact that his eyesight was good enough to be a police officer. Yeah, fuck you, Norman. Fuck you, right? Obviously, I kept this to myself. I mean, that's no way to continue your friendship. But every now and again, Tess definitely enjoyed my reactions that would just slip out from time to time. I mean, I'm not perfect. Thanks to Norman's appearance on the scene, I'd realised that my feelings that I'd caught were a little stronger 
than I'd previously assumed. Bollocks. And yes, Norman was actually bloody lovely and a thoroughly decent chap, right? Totally infuriating. I needed to put some distance between myself and the home county's newest lovebirds, right? Suddenly, that secondment opportunity that had opened up at work looked really tempting. A new challenge, and it involved a bunch of travel around the UK for training. I mean, perfect. Two weeks later, I'm the new training specialist, and I'm off to Newcastle for the week. Mostly to flirt with Geordie girls. Well, apparently that and to be trained on how to train people. But mostly, mostly, I was there for a night out on the toon and to go and see Biker Grove in real life. I had a night out on the toon, I did not get to see Biker Grove in real life. Very disappointing. On my last morning there, I ate the most expensive bacon roll I have ever had in my life, right? Honestly, I think it was something like eight quid. It was just outrageous price for a bacon sandwich. It was good though. It was really good, right? And I, I was just there eating this inordinately expensive bacon roll, which I'm still offended about, staring at the Tyne Bridge. It's the end of November. December is looming. It's Christmas party month. 2006 is coming to a close. And standing there, freezing to death, in Newcastle at the end of November, I decided it was time to be single for a while. You know, kind of see where this new job takes me. You know, put a bit of effort in. Right? No looking around. No trying to make something happen with someone. Love life deprioritised. Swearing off women. Yeah, the work crew had massively and rapidly expanded over the last couple of months. And I'll be honest with you, they fitted in very, very well. We partied very hard in December. You know, sort of limbering up for the works Christmas do. They actually had a really decent budget and they let the office party girl organise it. Aside from the school disco themed fancy dress right the party was lining up to be one of the best work christmas parties anybody had ever throw right i would never want it said that i don't approach life with a healthy level of enthusiasm and participation right so with this in mind i went all in on the fancy dress theme. One naughty schoolgirl outfit that was more than a touch risque in places. I mean, this caused a level of shock and surprise that I thoroughly enjoyed as well as a lot of laughter. Kind of midway through the night, one of the HR directors collared me and asked me if I'd realised what a stir my girly attire had made. She laughed and asked me what my next move was. I assured her I had no shenanigans in mind at all. 
He very well behaved, of course. Yeah, I went back to my table and I was relaying the conversation and uh, was met with some disappointed faces. Turns out they'd been taking bets on which of the new girls I'd get off with at the party. I'd have been insulted if I wasn't still trying to get over the last new girl that I'd gotten off with. So, But no girls, I told them, right? I'm off women, I said. I'm done. I'm done with all of that. And with that said, I threw myself and the fistful of drinks vouchers I'd nabbed off the HR director's table into the party. I got very drunk. And I danced my arse off. And I was having a wonderful time. And at some point, I was dancing with the lovely Ash. And then at some point, I was kissing Ash. Either Ash kissed me or I kissed him. Honestly, I don't know, right? There was just... It was all happening. What I do know is that when I stopped kissing Ash, everyone was staring at us. I mean, I'd said I was off women and, you know, I hadn't lied. Ash was technically one of the new boys, right? You know, and judging by the looks on their faces, nobody had put their money on that one. I mean, drunk me didn't really understand the fuss. I mean, it was a sexy song, we had a moment. I mean, it did abuse me. And I was still giggling about it when Tan and I slipped into the toilets together for non-sexual naughty reasons. Tan, he was amused that it turned out the rumours he'd heard going around were true and I was just still really amused by the reaction of everybody. Tan and I did our naughty business and then we hit the dance floor together. And at some point, I kissed him too. Or maybe he kissed me. I th- honestly, I don't know what was going on. I was too far away with the fairies at this point to enjoy watching the heads around me explode, quite frankly. And apparently that was what was happening. I mean, everything was hilarious to me that night. And by this point, I am fit for nothing. I have got my money's worth out of those drinks vouchers. Tess, Tess has agreed to be my lift home from the Christmas party and save me a lot of money on a taxi. Now, here's another top tip from me to you. If someone agrees to give you a lift home, don't make them have to come and find you on the dance floor. And then certainly don't insist they stay for one more song because, you know, you love this one. And trust me when I say they don't want a shot. They really, really don't. And I tell you what, they really, really, really don't want you to have one for the road. Oh, and if you have offered their services to a person who lives in the opposite direction to where you're going make sure you don't tell them until after you've got your chips otherwise it'll be all what do you want chips or a lift home right that's a lot of decision making at that time of the morning i was the talk of the office for no more than 10 minutes the next morning 
as one of the lads rolls in in the same clothes as the night before. The walk of shame is happening in front of our very eyes. And he was very suspiciously followed exactly two minutes later by a very sheepish looking woman who was old enough to be his mother. And if the rumour mill was to be believed, had been happily married until the two were discovered that morning by the hubby. Honestly, it was like a Christmas edition of Take a Break. But I never did actually find out the truth about that one. I choose to believe it happened because it's dramatic and I love a bit of drama. But I was done with drama now. I was. December is done. Christmas week was all about the family. You know, just home with mum and dad. Everybody relax. And I decided not to go big for New Year's, right? I was getting myself together. I stayed in, I sport myself rotten and I made some New Year's resolutions. You know, stay single for a while. No looking for love. Right, work. I was going to make this trainer job stick. And if I did that, I could move out of Pete's mad house. I mean, simple, clear goals. Place your bets now, listeners. How many days before one of these is achieved or broken? Thanks for listening to chapter 19. Now, don't rush off. Don't rush off. I have got some news for you. Uh, Tales of a Well-Established Lesbian is taking a two-week break. It might come as no surprise to hear that June is not only Pride Month, but also my birthday month too. Coincidence? I think not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to come back to you older and prouder. In terms of the story, it is actually a really good time for us to take a brief interlude. 2007 onwards is honestly more like the next book than it is the next chapter. So if you're interested and you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, Come back and join me on June 27th when we'll start telling those tales. I'll miss you, of course, but to fill your time, you could leave a review maybe, share the podcast with a friend, or just come and follow me on Insta for some wisdom in tiny squares. I should preface that and say all wisdom, or mostly all wisdom, is stolen but beautifully presented. Or, of course, you could join the small community of listeners over on Reddit. You'll find us at r slash T-O-A-W-E-L. Whatever you do, I hope you have a wonderful Pride Month wherever you are, however you get to show it or feel it. Thank you, as always, for the privilege of your time. Take care and be proud.